Open up in your Bibles if you'd like to follow us. We're going to be over in the book of Daniel first. Edward Steichen, who eventually became one of the world's most renowned photographers, almost gave up on the day he shot his first pictures. At 16, young Edward bought a camera and took 50 photos. Only one turned out. It was a portrait of his sister at the piano. Edward's father thought that was a poor showing, but his mother insisted that the photograph of his sister was so beautiful that it more than compensated for the 49 failures. Her encouragement convinced the young man to stick with his new hub. He stayed with it for the rest of his life, but it had not been but it had been a close call. The thing that tipped the scales was the vision to spot excellence in the midst of a whole lot of failure. Today, as we continue our series on bearing fruit for God, we're looking at excellence. We've been studying most uh, recently on the pruning process. Jesus teaches us in John, the 15th chapter, and he tells us that I am the vine, you are the branches. He says that I am the true vine. There are false vines that are around, but he is the true vine. He is the one we are to be attached to. I am the true vine, you are the branches. We are the branches, we're not the vine, and we're not the vine dresser, and the Father is the vine dresser. And that's what He teaches us. But He tells us the importance of bearing fruit. That first off, when we bear fruit, we can know that we bear fruit. We can know what fruit is. Otherwise, how can we tell if we're not bearing fruit? It's not some kind of a thing that we just can't tell. We can tell if we're bearing fruit. So we spent some time looking at what fruit is, how we can tell if we're bearing fruit. We've spent the last number of weeks on the pruning process that the Father goes through to make sure that we bear more fruit. In Daniel chapter 5 and verse 11, it says, There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the Spirit of the Holy God. And in the days of your Father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans and soothsayers inasmuch as an excellent spirit knowledge, understanding, interpretation interpreting dreams, solving riddles and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar now let Daniel be called and he will give the interpretation then Daniel was brought in before the king the king spoke and said to Daniel are you that Daniel who was one of the captives from Judah whom my father, the king, brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Oh, I'll tell you what. Daniel may not have had the greatest beginnings to come from one of the prisoners brought. I mean, usually you don't think of too much of captives. These are conquered people. But Daniel pursued some things and said there was an excellent spirit found inside of Daniel. In chapter 6, verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these, three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because of he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. So in Daniel, there was an excellent spirit found in him. 
There was such excellence, there was such faithfulness that people who tried to find fault in him could not. That because of this excellence and because of this greatness, he was being promoted. And there were those in the kingdom who didn't like the fact that he was promoted and wanted to come against him. So you imagine having all that coming against you and yet still you excel. There are some things that we can do as Christians that can bring us to the point of excellence, of excelling above all that are around us. Even though people around us desire us to go down. Even though people around us desire that we not succeed. Oh, but in us can be a spirit of excellence like it was with Daniel. But there are some things that we need to do. Now, amidst, if you look at Daniel in comparison with this idea of fruitfulness, would we say that Daniel was fruitful? We can see certainly that Daniel's bearing fruit, that there's fruit on Daniel. And so much fruit, the people all around him said, this, this man's excellent. This man is extremely faithful. There is something special about this man. Aristotle wrote this. He said, We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence is not an act. It is a habit. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence is not an act. It is a habit. Oh, it's the things that we do on a regular basis. Over in Romans chapter 2, For as many as have sinned, verse 12, Romans chapter 2, verse 12, For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without law, and as many have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, those, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, will show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness between themselves, their thoughts, accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel, indeed you are called a Jew and rest in the law and make your boast in God and know His will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of law. Excellent things need to be approved. We take a look at a number of different things that are out there and we see some things here and some things there, but we must take some of them and say, these are excellent things. These are the things of excellence. Because we have a whole lot of things that are around here for us. There are a lot of things that we can be, be doing. There are a lot of things that we can partake of. But there are some things that are excellent things and some things that are not so excellent. He says here, and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law. We can take the things that are in this world, the things that are around us, and we can compare them to the Word of God and determine what things are excellent. How many times do we go through that process before we adopt things into our life? Do we approve what things are excellent? Is that an excellent thing? Is that something of excellence? Is that something that I should strive for? Is that something great? Or do we just, well, you know, whatever. Now, sometimes when we eat, sometimes some of us are more uh, acute about determining what things are excellent than others are. And we go on through the store, maybe we're reading labels and determining, is this an excellent food? Is this a good food? Some of us could come up to the Twinkies and we could say, hmm, this looks like it could be an excellent food. But what are you making the judgment of? Just because I determine something to be excellent doesn't mean that it is. 
The Word of God tells us here that we compare it to the law. We bring the Word of God out. And by the Word of God, I can tell when something is really, truly excellent. And if it's excellent, then I should make it part of my life. I should adopt that part. I should bring that thing in. Because sometimes we have brought some things in that were not so excellent. How many of you have ever made a recipe and found out that one of the ingredients you put in was not so excellent? That something had gone wrong with it. Maybe the milk has soured, or it was a rotten egg, or something just wasn't quite right with one of the ingredients. And doesn't that have an effect on the whole thing? If we're going to have an excellent life, if we're going to have an excellent ministry, if we're going to have an excellent way of going about things for God, then we've got to make sure we bring in excellent things. We've got to make sure that when we listen to the Word of God being taught, we determine, is this a true teaching? Is this an excellent teaching? Is this something that I should bring into my life? How many of you all know people who have allowed into their life non-excellent teaching? Non-excellent things. And you see what it's done to the Christian walk. It's not as good as it could be. You can, it could be better. If you didn't have that teaching in you, if you didn't th- have that thinking in you, things would be better for you. But you've got that, th- you got that thing in there. You, you see God this way. You see the Word of God this way. And you know that's holding them back. Paul calls them anchors. We have these things that we've allowed to come into our life and they have become anchors. But he says that we approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of, the law, out of the law and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind. That you are a guide to the blind. How many of you all know that? That you will need to bring in excellent things into your life so that you become a guide to the blind. There are blind people all around us. People who don't know how the end times are going to unfold. People who don't know about the grace of God. People don't know about the love of God, the mercy of God. They don't know about how excellent the Word of God is. They don't know how accurate prophecy is. They don't know about these things. You are a guide to the blind. He says, a light to those who are in darkness. You are a light to those who are in darkness. You're not in darkness. But we run into people all the time that are in darkness and you are their light. It would be the same thing as if at nighttime there's a power failure and you need to go around you find a flashlight. You are in darkness, but that flashlight is a light to you. It would be better if you were in light, wouldn't it? But while you're not in light, you can use the flashlight to get you around and to get you into places. We are in the light, but we encounter people that are in darkness. And it says that we are a light to those in darkness. So we've got to make sure that the light we bring them is excellent light. They're not false light. An instructor of the foolish. Did you know that you're an instructor? You are to go out and teach the things that you know. The things that you've studied, you're to teach others. An instructor of the foolish. A teacher of babes having the form of knowledge in the truth in the law. All around us are very excellent things. There are some very excellent things all around us. There are some not-so-excellent things around us. And we have also some terrible things around us. We have some excellent things, some very excellent things, some not-so-excellent things, and some terrible things. And we have to stand there and judge which ones are good and which ones are not. We all just had to go through a period of judgment this week. How many of you made a judgment based on which candidates you were going to vote for? And we're going to vote for this one. We're not going to vote for that one. Then, you know, the the negative ad campaigns, thank God, they're all gone. They are no longer coming at you or hitting you, telling you why why the other guy is so bad. 
while the other lady is so awful. We don't have that anymore. Glory to God. I don't believe a word of them. I don't care who put them out. I don't even care if it's put out by a candidate I like. I don't believe them. Because too many times they just exaggerate them and they, they make them say things that are, are not there. And you should not be making decisions based upon these negative ads. You shouldn't. You should hear those things and say, I'm not making a decision based on that. I'm going to find out what this person actually does believe, what they actually do stand for, and, and so forth. There are people, certainly not here, but in other churches and other places, but not here, I'm, I'm sure of that. But there are places around, and people, believe me, believe me on this, there are people who actually pick a candidate to vote for based on, you ready for this? Based on what the news media says. Can you believe that? There are people out there who, believe, who vote for a candidate based on whether the news media likes them or not. Whether the newspaper endorses them or not. Whether ex-president or ex-senator or ex-representative so-and-so endorses them. I mean, who in the world cares? First off, the media is the most ungodly institution we probably have in this country. Any form of it. Newspaper. TV. And if you're going to take what they had to say and say, we like this candidate and you're going to vote for him, I'll tell you what, all I need to know is the media likes somebody and I'm probably not voting for them. I don't care what party they are. I don't care if they're independent, Republican, Democrat. I don't care if they've been in there forever or brand new. If they don't like them, there's probably something good in them if they don't like them. If they do like them, there's probably something bad. Because the media is horrible. They are ungodly. They are anti-Christian. And for them to like a candidate means there must be something wrong with them, as far as we are concerned. But believe it or not, there are people who listen to all these uh, different reports, newspapers and, and uh, news, uh, news commentators and, and so forth, and uh, make a decision based on that. Oh, certainly you're not a, no one here. We go and we find out what it is that they believe in, what they have voted for, what they say they're going to do, and we compare that to the Word of God and decide, is this a good candidate to vote for? Not what the news media has to say. But believe it or not, some people do that. They don't determine what is excellent. And so when they vote for somebody that someone else endorsed or someone else and they get something and don't like what they got, they didn't get an excellent product. You know why? You didn't check it out. You've got to check it out. You've got to check out the doctrine that you believe in. You've got to check out the things that are around you. You've got to make sure that your light is the true light. That is your job to make sure that you do it. It is your job to make sure that what is in you is of excellence character. Because all around us, there are very excellent things. There are not so excellent things. And there are some terrible things. What are you going to do? What are you going to choose to do? How many of you ever made cookies from, from scratch? Not, you know, bought those little tube things, but actually made cookies from scratch. How many have ever made them from butter? How many made them from margarine? And how many made them from shortening? Yeah, we make them pick all these different things. How many of y'all know a cookie made from butter tastes really, really good? Yes. No. You know why? Because <laughs> it's made with butter. <laughs> a cookie made with margarine is good. And a cookie made with shortening, well, hmm, might be healthy. Maybe, you know, of course, people are telling you that it is healthier. I don't know. I, I, I like butter. You know, but. Put the, put the butter on. <laughs> so, some people make, make cookies and you know they'll, they'll, they'll get imitation vanilla. You know why? 
Because it's cheaper. It's a whole lot cheaper, isn't it? Doggone. I mean, that, that real vanilla costs money. But oh, when you take a taste of cookie made with real vanilla and real butter. Oh. You know, that's, that's good. And you, know, you go to the store and you can buy chocolate chips and you can buy the store brand chocolate chips or you can buy Nestle Tall, Tall House. Chocolate chip cookies. And how many have ever had cookies with the store brand chocolate chip? And how many have had two cookies with a Nestle Toll House? Oh, is there a difference in there? So you can have a chocolate chip cookie made with Nestle's chocolate chips, real butter, and real vanilla. Or you can have it made with somebody else's chocolate chips and shortening and maybe some imitation vanilla. Which one's going to taste better? Well, the reason was because you stay with the excellent ingredients. We got to make sure that from the Word of God, folks, we stick with the excellent ingredients. Excellent ingredients. Now, you know, they're always out there because, you know, there's reports. Once again, the media is out there telling you fat is bad. You can't have fat. You can't have trans fat. In fact, I think it's New York trying to outlaw trans fats and... They come out like illegal trans fats. Isn't that great? <laughs> oh, my. Thanks for you. Now, I don't know about you. Who do you believe more? Do you believe God? Or do you believe people? And Jesse DePlantis is, is famous for this. He always says, you know, God knows the good part. What's he say? Give me the fat. Go through the Old Testament. What's he say about the sacrifice? Give me the fat. Y'all can have the rest of it. I want the fat. <laughs> you cook off the fat, you boil off the fat, you can have what's left. I want the fat. So Jesse determined God knows the good stuff. And he'll talk about the, the cooking they have down there in New Orleans. You know, it's fatty. Lots of fat. And uh, he's, he's up there pretty good, isn't he? Jesse's up there pretty good. He seems to be doing pretty good eating fat. He's doing better than some people who don't eat fat. So you determine what you want to do in there. But... They're all around us, folks. There are very excellent things. There are not so excellent things. And there are terrible things. But the Word of God tells us that we are to judge the, the things that are around us. What we choose to pick up will shape our degree of excellence. What we choose to pick up will shape our degree of excellence. Just like when you're making the cookies, you can have real vanilla, real butter, and you can have real Nestle's chocolate chips. You know, maybe even Hershey's. I don't know. But Hershey's might even make some. And they'd probably be just as good too. I just, I'm more familiar with, with, with Nestle's than I am the other ones. We just got to choose what it is we're going we're gonna to bring on. So here's some things that we can, we can pick from. Here, conversations. How many of y'all know that there are some very excellent conversations that go on? There are some not so excellent conversations that go on. And there are some terrible conversations that go on. In Luke chapter 24, verse 13, Now behold, two of them were traveling, this is after Jesus had uh, been resurrected, the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together with all these things that had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? 
what kind of conversation is this that you have? Jesus comes in there and he's listening to the conversation. What are they saying to each other? Well, we're talking about how bad things are. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified. He's dead. He's buried. Oh, it's so terrible. And he's listening to this conversation and he says, what manner of conversation is this that you're having? How many of you would say that this is a terrible conversation? It may not be in a terrible... I can think of some things that are more terrible than this, but it certainly is not an excellent conversation, is it? I would say it's at least not so excellent or a poor conversation to be having. Because there's all kinds of different things that are out there. This one, not so good. And Jesus listened to what it was they had to say. What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened here, there in these days? Now, can you imagine when his eyes were opened and he realized it was Jesus, that he was telling Jesus, you don't know what's going on? How is it that you don't know what's been going on? Jesus was the guy who died and was resurrected. (laughs) And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the thing is concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Now, we just finished uh, some time ago the series on hope. And would this be the biblical kind of hope? <laughs> we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, in slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Understand this. If we have conversations that revolve around our lack of belief or our or our slowness in heart, it is not a good conversation. Conversations that involve our lack of belief or slowness of heart are not good conversations. They are not excellent conversations. And if I bring less than excellent ingredients into the mix, what happens? The end product doesn't quite taste as good. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and He indicated that He would have gone further. But they constrained Him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And He went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as He sat at the table with them, And he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Their eyes were opened, and they knew him. Jesus was there involved in this conversation, and he was involved in all the same events. But one group of people came out with an idea that this is not good. And Jesus knew how great and how good and how wonderful all this was. And he hears them talking about it. What are you all talking about? How can you not see the gloriousness of all these events? And here they're all sad. 
and talking down and talking poorly. On Wednesday night, we talked about what a difference a day makes. That how bad things were. And then all of a sudden, things changed. We put that up there on the internet for y'all to get uh, right away. Some of you were able to tap into that. But that was, uh, that was up there on Wednesday night even. You can get up there and, and get that. What a difference a day makes. We even spent some time going through the different stories that are in the Bible. And how it looked one way here and then totally different over here. The children of Israel look like it's, it's all over. And then the next day, the Egyptian army is dead. One day, you know, the, the head of a donkey is selling for all kinds of money. And the next day, there's abundance of food. What a difference a day makes. Oh, what a heaven for these folks. Did a day make a difference? This day, they're sad. The next day, they are glad. They're happy. Nothing else changed. Just their view of what was going on around them. Our view of what's going on around us changes the way we, we look at things. Then their eyes were open and, he, and they knew Him and He vanished from their sight. Verse 32, And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while He talked with us on the road and while He opened the Scriptures to us? Oh, if we only listened to that yearning of the Spirit. In other words, they're saying this, Didn't our spirit become alive? Didn't our spirit turn? Didn't our spirit bear witness of the things that He said? Ah, oh, but we stayed in our gloom and we stayed in our sadness and we argued that, well, you know, this, this just isn't good. But wasn't this going on the inside of us? How many times we have involved in taking on things that are less than excellent and inside of our spirit it says, don't do that. Don't bring that. That's, less, that's not excellent enough. That's not what you need. Don't bring that in. But oh, we go for it anyway. And now they say, oh, we shouldn't have done all that. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathering together and saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how He was known to them on the breaking of bread. Now as they said these things, Jesus Himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. So they just heard all these good things, all this wonderful stuff, how Jesus just made known to them, and then Jesus shows up and they all get scared. And He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, but while they still did not believe for joy. (laughs) I guess they're so so happy about their not believing. I'm not sure what that is. And marveled, he said to them, Have you any food? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. And he took it and ate it in their presence. And then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I still are still with you, that all these things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. you remember Jesus? Once Peter had the revelation, you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God. From that day forward, it says, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer at the hands of men, be crucified and raised up on the third day. But they didn't hear it. And now he opened up their eyes so that they could see. Conversations. Make sure that we are involved in excellent conversations. Make sure that we are talking to people. We don't talk fear and doubt about the Word of God. We don't talk sickness and disease. We don't talk about, well, it'll always be this way. Well, it'll always be like this. It's never going to change. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing good's going to go on. Oh, it's always so bad. Oh, it's always... Don't have those kind of conversations. Have excellent 
conversations. And if you start to get involved in a less than excellent conversation, just get, begin to take part and think, hmm, how can I turn this into an excellent conversation or how can I excuse myself? How can I get out of that? Don't be involved in less than excellent conversations because less than excellent ingredients make less than excellent product. And what we want to strive for is excellence. Excellence in our fruit bearing. Excellence. We're going to be the best branch on the vine. We are striving to be the best. We are striving to be excellent. And don't think that Jesus doesn't want you striving for that. Because if Jesus did not want you striving to be the greatest, He would not have taught His disciples how to become the greatest. He wouldn't have done it. Jesus is not backwards like our schools are. You know, telling people, you know, don't be involved. In, 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 don't be sexually active. But in case you do, here you go. That's just stupid. Jesus doesn't do that. If He teaches you how to do it, He wants you to pursue it. He wants us to pursue being greatest. He wants us all to be in competition. Be the greatest. The thing about being the greatest in the kingdom of God is you don't have to put anybody else down to become the greatest in the kingdom of God. You don't have to knock anybody else off in order to become the greatest in the kingdom of God. According to Jesus, you've got to be the servant of all. You've got to be the greatest servant that there is. Well, how about another one? How about thoughts? Psalms 10, verse 4, The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God, God is none in his thoughts. Well, that's pretty much of the wicked. We pretty much know that. and There's a whole mess of scriptures on that. But we pretty much determined that wicked people don't have good thoughts. Here's some verses on the thoughts of God. Psalms 40 and verse 5, Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done. And your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak to them, they are more than can be numbered. Oh, the thoughts of God. Your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak them, they are more than can be numbered. The thoughts of God concerning you are more than can be numbered. Imagine that. God doesn't just think about you occasionally. God's thoughts of you are more than can be numbered. Psalms 139 verse 17. How precious also are your thoughts of me, O God. How great is the sum of them. So there's a whole lot of thoughts and they are precious thoughts of me. You think, do you understand that? That God has a whole lot of thoughts and all of them are precious of you. Well, that's the thoughts of God. Heaven, the thoughts of the righteous. Proverbs 12, verse 5. The thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. The thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Anyone who ever has to cover up part of the truth in order for you to go the, with the, what it is they're, they're teaching, is wicked. Anyone who has to do it. If you want to teach something from the Word of God, but well, we can't get into this Scripture, and we can't get into this Scripture, and we can't get into this Scripture, then what you are teaching is not right. Going back to the political campaigns. Anyone who has to drag out something, and it's not right. I mean, how many times do we have people in the media and so forth taking people out of context? They can take a 30-minute speech, a 45-minute speech of someone and pull out 
two sentences and make you think they're deplorable and they're despicable. The thing is, the person who pulled out the two sentences had to hear all 30 to 45 minutes and knew what the intent of the speaker was, but decided to lead you astray. What kind of a person is that? Wicked person. Should you listen to their thoughts? No. No. Do not listen to the thoughts. I, I'm, I'm absolutely positive that VCRs and DVRs and all those things that record TV programs and such that you like to watch, they are an act of God. Because we no longer have to sit there and subject ourselves to listening to the commercials. We no longer have to subject ourselves to listening to those little news clips that they give you before the show comes right back on and telling you what things they've decided to twist for you today. Right? How they've twisted all the global warming news. How that, you know, that comes on out that the guy, well, he just, he lost all the data, so he made it up on all the fun stuff that they do. But, you know, we should, we should do all this stuff and we should believe it because, no, if it's, if it's right, if it's true, then all of it can be brought out. If it is not right, then we must conceal part of it. That's how you can tell whether someone is right or someone is not. What do they conceal from you? See, people who are convinced that their opinion on a subject is right are not afraid of debate. They're not afraid of people coming out and saying, what is the other side of the view? You know, I have some views on, on Scripture. You know, even in the, in the end times, you all know we've gone through end times probably more than anything else that we've ever gone through in this church. And I have some strong views on end times. And I know that they're all right. All right, nobody's going to laugh at it. <laughs> I guess you all know that they're all right too, huh? <laughs> but you know, there's other people who believe otherwise. And a lot of times when we go through and we teach them, I will tell you what the other side is. I'll say, now there's people who teach this. And there's people who bring out this. And there's people who look at it this way. I don't need to cover anything up. There is nothing I need to cover up because I am absolutely 100% sure that everything I've ever taught you on end times is 100% correct. And I've studied it out to make sure that it was 100% correct. I stand by it all. And I'll debate anybody. And I don't care where they want to go in Scripture. Because I'll go anywhere. Because the same truth is in the Old Testament as in the New Testament. The same truth that Jesus taught, Paul taught. The same truth that Paul taught, John taught. It's all taught. It's all the same. There's nothing different. You don't have to conceal any of it. There is no verse in Scripture that you had to bring out and, and, and mess that up. We have views on what the mercy of God is. There is no place in Scripture that we go that can, contradicts that. There's the view on the grace of God. There's other views that we have of Scripture. But if you are confident in the truth, then there is nothing that can be revealed that you are afraid of. Nothing. But the people who know, they know this isn't truth. This isn't truth. I heard it was said of, of Al Gore. Al Gore will never run for president again. Because if he does, the global warming debate will be brought into a public forum. And he cannot bring it there because he can't defend it. And so he goes into places and he speaks where he's the only speaker because he controls what truth, supposed truth, comes in. That's not a person who's convinced that it's right. That's a person who's afraid. 
and we have to control certain things. The Word of God, folks, is true. There is no part of it that you believe that anything in the Word of God is ever going to contradict. Truth is always truth. And if anything ever comes across your way that causes you to question something that's there, then either that thing is you understand it wrong or what you thought was truth may not be. How many of us have ever believed something 100% totally, oh, this is it, this is it, and then found out, got some new truth, got some new enlightenment on the thing, and found out, oh, it's a little bit different than that. But thank God you're able to grow. And you brought that up. Okay, I, this is the way it is now. Yeah, that's all right. Bring that stuff in. But the thoughts of the righteous are right. But the counsel of the wicked are deceitful. It doesn't just say they're wrong. They're deceitful. Because people must conceal those things that don't fit into their agenda. Second Corinthians 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Oh, our weapons are powerful. There is nothing in this world, folks, we fear or should fear because the truth of God's Word stands firm, which is why this world comes against the truth of Jesus Christ, which is why it comes against a manger scene being put up in places. But it's okay to have other things set up. It's okay to have Halloween displays in school, but don't bring anything Christian. They know. There is nothing that can pull down the arguments, the imaginations, the thoughts that come from the Word of God. Well, that's one. Another thing. Thoughts. Here about this one. Friends. We all know in 1 Corinthians, Paul teaches us, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. How many of you have in either the margin of your Bible or written right next to it, except for me? Right? Haven't we all, don't we all put that in there? I realize that evil company corrupts good habits for most people, but I am better. I can get around some unsafe people. And this is especially true once we find someone of the opposite sex that's attractive to us who is not born again. We, we can go out there and preach and believe this. Evil company corrupts good habits. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know that. Oh, I know. Oh, what, wow, look at that. <laughs> hmm. Surely, no good thing would he withhold. <laughs> Romans 15, verse 24. Whenever I journey to, to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. Oh, Paul enjoyed the company of other Christians. He enjoyed the company of other believers. He was out there in the world. He's out there preaching and, and getting folks saved and doing things there. But oh, he enjoyed coming back to the company of his own people. That's where we ought to be. We ought to have a place we can come back to the company of our own people. Doesn't mean we get away from the world. Doesn't mean we hide from the world. But oh, it's good to have a place you can come on back and you can just... Ah, oh, relax a little bit and enjoy the the, the thing of the world. The, 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 we've been out there in the world. You can enjoy the being around the, the folks and getting encouraged and your walk here. I mean, it's one thing to watch an Eagles game with Dallas Redskins and Cowboy fans or uh, Giant fans, you know. I mean, you're on edge. You're always defending yourself and, and you always, you know... Uh, it's 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 one thing. It's one thing to go to an Eagles game down in Washington D.C. and wearing your Eagles colors with all the Redskins 
The jersey's all around. Isn't it? I mean, you operate a little bit different. You're there. You're proclaiming, I'm a fan. I mean, there's all these other folks around here that are a little hostile to you. Oh, how good it is to come back to a home game and be amongst your, your, your own folks. Right? The Phillies are a team. They just, it just seems they have some followers, some, some fans, and they just go all over. It seems like every time the Phillies are in another uh, part of the country playing a game with someone, that there's a whole group of people of Philly fans wearing the Philly shirts, flying the, you know, the, the Philly stuff and, and just cheering them on. But generally, when they're out there, they get in packs. Why? Because it's good to be around your own kind. It's good to be around your own company. Oh, if you're going to be out in a hostile world, get around some people that are out your own to encourage you, to help you out. You know, it's one thing to be a Phillies fan, one person in a whole stadium of Met fans. But how much better it is when you've got a pocket of 20 or 30. I mean, people you didn't even know before. Oh, you're a Philly fan. How you doing? Right? How much more should it be for Christians? How much more should we receive the encouragement of the company of Christians? This is what Paul did. Oh, it's good. I look forward to being in your company for a while. In Acts chapter 4, verse 23, And being let go, they went to their own companions. They're out there in the world. They're proclaiming Jesus. They're defending why they were out there doing the things, healing people in Jesus' name. And they said, You're not going to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. Well, should we obey you or should we obey God? You all decide. We're going to go out there and obey God. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Who did they go to? Their own companions. Oh, that's why having a good church family is good. It's good to come back to your own and be able to say, Oh, I was out there in the world this week, over there at work, over there in the neighborhood, and I was telling people about Jesus, telling people about the mercy of God, telling people about the love of God. And all they were doing this and they were saying this and they were threatening this. And you come on back and you just get encouraged by other people in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 9. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with sexually immoral people of the world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world. In other words, there are so many unsaved people in the world and unsafe people don't do the same things that we do. They, they are immoral. They are covetous. They are extortioners. They are idolaters. And the only way that you can't have any association with these people is if you get out of the world. And he said, I'm not telling you to do that. That's not what I was writing to you about. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually, not was, who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater, or a reveler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Get around your own company. You're going to be out there in the world. It's good to be out there in the world. You're going to find selfish people, covetous people, sexually immoral people, drunkards, stealers, Thieves, hey, it's all right. That's what you're here for. Be a light to them. We must judge and determine what things are excellent. Of all these things that are out there, folks, we must judge and determine what things are excellent. Is this an excellent conversation? Is this an excellent thought? Is this excellent companions for me to be around? 
are these excellent things. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Approve those things that are excellent. This is leading you to the place of fruits of righteousness. Hebrews 11 verse 4. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witnesses, witness that he was righteous, God testifying by his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. There are excellent things around us that we are to be partaking in. Get associated with the things that are excellent. Because once again, excellent ingredients make better cookies. Excellent ingredients make better Christians. Excellent Christians. Ones with an end product that is far better. In Isaiah 65, verse 2, here we can look at some, beside excellent things, there are excellent choices we can do. I have stretched out my hand all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts. Who walk in a way that is not good. Then when you walk in a way that is not good, you have chosen to go in a direction that is not good. I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts. There are good and there are excellent choices. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31, but earnestly desire the best gifts. The best gifts. How many of y'all know what he's saying there is that there are some gifts that are the best and there are some gifts that are good. I think all God's gifts are good, right? But he's saying out of all those good gifts, there are some that are the best. The best. Get the best. How many times have we gone to a place, maybe you needed something for your house, a hot water heater, you needed a car, you needed some kind of an appliance, a microwave, whatever might thing it might be. How many have gone out there and gone shopping and decided I'm going to buy the cheapest thing I can get? How many of y'all know what happened with that? How many have learned from that? Now, I'm not going to buy the cheapest, but I don't necessarily want to buy the most expensive, so I'm going to buy... In the middle. <laughs> and that does better. Doesn't it? That does better. But oh, maybe one day you finally broke down and said, you know what? I'm going to do some research on this thing and I'm going to find out what is the best microwave on the market. What is the best toaster oven I can buy? Which is the best blender? And I'm going to do some research and I'm going to do and find out. And we do some research and we find out some things and we're looking around and we find out, oh, it's got this feature, it's got this thing, it's got, oh, oh. Yeah, this is good. This is good. Oh, I didn't even know microwaves could do that. Really? I mean, it'll do that? We have a microwave in our house, folks. How many have ever done coffee? Like to heat up coffee in a microwave or maybe heat up some water for a tea. We can walk up to ours and you put the, the beverage in the microwave and you hit one button. And it doesn't matter if the cup is 6 ounces, 8 ounces, 12 ounces or 20 ounces. It figures out how big the cup is and stops the microwave when it's boiling. How many of you have, have got some food? Leftovers. 
How many of you heat them up in the microwave? Oh, absolutely. But you've got to figure out how long to put it in for, right? Not ours. I take the food of my, uh, uh, in the plate, put it on in the microwave, and hit another button. And it will automatically tell when the, when the food, not when the plate is hot, when the food on the plate is hot and stop. Is that better? Did you all know microwaves could do that? Microwaves can do that. Oh, I'll tell you what, it's so nice. Because sometimes, you know, I, 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 in the, in the wintertime, I enjoy tea. I do not drink tea in the spring, summer, or fall. But in the winter, when it's cold, I will drink tea. And so, but I, I brew my tea. I have a whole little thing to brew. And so I have, a, I have to put one of those big, tall plastic cups in, in order to fill up enough water to, to brew the tea. So I take that cup and I put it in there and put that sensor on. Just hit one, bu- one button. This it. Just bang. And it goes and goes and goes. And it goes a lot more minutes than you do for that little one. But then when it's done, it is hot. And it is ready to brew tea. And I don't have to sit there and figure out how many minutes I should put it in for. Or how many seconds. All I got to do is just tell it. Oh, how good this, these things are. And once you get used to that, well, you, you're going to go back to a microwave. You've got to figure out all the... Well, is it 30 seconds? Is it 45 seconds? Should I do it a minute? No. In fact, our microwave folks will even do more than that because I can tell it to cook with heat or with, with microwave or both. I can tell I want you to make this hot, physically hot in there, and I want you to cook with microwave stuff too. And it'll do it. It's called a convection oven. It'll do convection. It'll do microwave. Do it both at the same time or just do one or the other. Oh, I tell you what. That's nice. That's nice because, you know, stuff that's out there... It works good. But you see, you've got to do the research. What is the excellent product in here? And you know what? That excellent product might cost you $10, $20, or a little bit more than the other one does. But, oh, you're going to enjoy it so much better. Get excellence. Once you, ex- once you enjoy excellence in your life, you find out, you know what? Excellence is worth saving for. Excellence is worth waiting a little longer for so I can get the excellent thing. And the same thing with God. Excellence is worth pursuing. It's worth waiting for. Father God, I want to have that excellent thing brought into my life. I want those excellent conversations. I want those excellent thoughts. I want to make excellent choices. Earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. There are some people that when you talk about excellence in products and things you can get around here... They just, oh, I don't need excellent. I don't need excellent. And sometimes we've done the same thing with the Word of God. Oh, you know, one gift is good as another. No, Paul says, earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. And then he teaches the way of love. In verse 12 of chapter 14, Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. If you're going to excel at something, seek to do so for the church's sake. 2 Timothy 2.15 Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If you rightly divide the word of truth, you're pursuing excellence. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they increase to more ungodliness. If I shun profane and idle babblings that increase to more ungodliness, I am pursuing excellence. And their message will spread like cancer. 
Hymenus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. You know whose faith they don't overthrow? The ones who are excellent. The ones who have brought in excellent ingredients. The ones who have pursued rightly dividing the word of truth. Who have shunned profane and idle babblings. These are the ones. What you let in, folks, what, what you stay around, it will shape what you become. It goes on, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this, this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So, if I clean myself from these other things, I am pursuing excellence. He says, Anybody can be a vessel of wood and clay in the house of God. But only those who pursue excellence, only those who get rid of these things, those are the ones who become gold and silver. Any of you can become it, but these are the ones who do. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who, are, who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes knowing that they generate strife. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. That is, bad conversations. Less than excellent conversations. Avoid them. Don't get involved with them. Flee useful lust. Pursue righteousness. Faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord. Good companions out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate Strife. Verse 24, And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach and patient. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach and patient. You find people around that always want to get into a quarrel, always want to get into a dispute, always want to put down other people. These are folks who are not sure where they come from. They are not sure of the truth that they have. If you are absolutely set true on the, the truth that is in God's Word. You know this is right. You don't got to argue with anybody. If you want to be enlightened, I'll tell you what's going on there. If you're happy with the way you go, hey, go at it. It's the people who, are, who so blatantly pursue, I've got to inflict our doctrine on everyone. Those are the ones, folks, who know it's wrong. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. You see, we realize that there are some people who have been taken captive by the devil. And until they want to get free, they're not going to get free. So don't argue and dispute and all that. It's not going to help. And basically, I have to just tell some people, you know what? If you are content that what you know is true, live with it. I'm content that what I know is true. And I'm going to live with it. If you ever get to a point where you're not as sure as you see I am, come talk to me. That's all we got to do. Don't to get in quarrels. Chapter 3. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. How many of you know we're in perilous times? Perilous times will come. 
He, he said it. They will come. For men will be lovers of themselves. Do we have people now that are lovers of themselves? Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. Lovers of money. Do we have people that are lovers of money? Yeah. They love themselves and they love money. They're boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. You know people who fit this description? What should you do with them? Turn away. In case of the media, turn them off. Get away from the Katie Kerricks and the... I don't even know their names are anymore. Thank God. Just turn them off. You don't need them. They're spreading lies, disputes, causing you to doubt. One calls you to doubt the Word of God. Trying to blame all the things that the Word of God said would happen in the end days on global warming. Clim global climate change. You know what? God said this is what's going to happen in the end times. And I did not say it's going to be because we're all driving around too many SUVs. Every time I see one of those smart cars out there, I want to drive my truck further just to make up for what they're not doing. No, I don't need to do that. Well, these will be around. How we deal with them. That's what we got to do. How are we going to deal with them? Turn away. Turn away. Just turn away from them. I understand you can't convince everybody to become a Christian. There are some people they've been taken captive. Some people, this is what they love to do. You know what? Just warn them. End times are coming. Tribulation's coming. You know what? You're going to be in there. Enjoy. Here's what's coming. Give them a little sampling of it. Maybe they'll turn around and then. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with... Notice it didn't say gullible men. <laughs> oh, I just had some fun with that, don't I tell you. Only women are gullible, apparently. It's in the Bible. Can't argue with the Bible, right? <laughs> no, we know that men can be gullible too. I mean, he's talking about men that led them astray, so obviously they're gullible. For this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Oh, does that not describe some people? Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janais and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. They will progress no further. See, God wants us to progress. He wants us to be pursuing excellence. It's out there for us. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecution, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. But you have carefully followed. It is a careful choice to follow what leads to excellence. It's not accidental. It is a careful choice to follow what leads to excellence. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I know that's a refrigerator verse, isn't it? How many of y'all have that on your refrigerator? All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 
But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We ran through those things. Just wanted you to get the overall view of it. We'll probably come back and take a look at some parts later on in more detail. But understand this. Jesus obtained a more excellent ministry. Hebrews 8 tells us that. Verse 6. But now He has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as He also he is also a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. So God had a covenant in place, but He said, I'm going to strive, I'm going to get, I'm going to attain a more excellent covenant. Jesus had one, had um, one ministry, but He, I'm going to strive and obtain a more excellent ministry. We'll find out some things that He did for that. Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. We read this first. By faith, Abel to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. What did he do? He did what the Word of God said. This is acceptable. This is not. And he pursued after that. Cain did not. Ames, Abel's offering was called a more excellent sacrifice. We too can make choices to excel. We too can make choices to excel. What choices are we going to make to excel? I've heard it said you know, before, you can look around. How many of you know good musicians? People who are real good on a musical instrument. You know what? They didn't get there on their own. Good musicians got there because good people taught them how to play the instrument. Because they got around good other good musicians who played their instrument. And they, and they hung around excellent people. Good basketball players didn't become good basketball players by staying by themselves. They got involved with a good coach. They got involved in some teams. They got involved with some more excellent players so that they could strive to become that more excellent player that they were. People who are good teachers and good professors. They got around people who taught them first. They got around people who were good teachers. They studied good teachers. They found out what made a good teacher. They got around other people who were good teachers and they fellowship amongst those, those kind of folks. They didn't get there on their own. You're not going to get there on your own. You get there because of the people that are around you. Make good choices. Make sure that the people around you are faith people. People who believe in the Word of God. People who are striving after excellence for God. And in your own area of ministry, strive after excellence. Go after what God has given you and put all that you have into it. If it's in the music area, you strive after that. I'm going to know this. I'm going to know how to worship in this song. I'm going to know what I need to do as a worshiper. If it's in service other ways, or if it's in ministry, or if it's in helping other people, whatever it might be, strive for that excellence. How can I be better? at doing what I do for God? How can I be better at the doctrine that I have inside of me? How can I strive for more excellence in this area? How can I do this? It doesn't happen autom- automatically. It happens because we press in, because we strive for it, because we say there is truth out there and I want to get that truth. I want to pursue excellence. Excellent people, folks, are fruit-bearing people. Be one of the excellent ones. Strive to be one of the excellent ones. Become a vessel of gold. Become a vessel of silver. Don't be satisfied with a vessel of wood or a vessel of clay. Would you all stand up with me? Father God, we thank you. You are the great God. 
You are the God who has presented all before us ways for us to become excellent because you desire that we become excellent. Excellence in us glorifies you. Fruit in us glorifies you. And Father, we want to strive for that excellence because you told us to in your word. Because you told us, here's how to become the greatest in the kingdom of God. Now go for it. And Father, we thank you for all those that are around us. Not These are not people that we have to compete with to become the best. These are people who help us. These are people who, who encourage us and move us along. And Father, we thank you for the help that they are. And the goodness that is all around us. We know that we go out into the world to be witnesses, to be lights. We thank you for the help that we have from those that are ours those that are our companions, those that are our family here. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.